Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. On a mixtape just around the corner Did a lot in California Can't wait to drop this don't you Yeah, they gon' have fun with that Smash like song and my song's gon' break through like a running back Hello and welcome back to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One It is Sunday, December 11th, 2022 Mark Daly and Mark Hamilton here Couple of days behind schedule, but better late than never How's it going tonight, buddy? My friend, I am doing amazing, all things considered. Jumping straight into Parents Corner. Uh, my little <laughs> one has not been able to keep anything in over the last day and a half. So oh, the no. washing machine has been running nonstop. But I, I think oh, with no. three kids, you've been there before. But other than that, yeah, it's great. There, uh, this that. is his last week of school. And then, of course, he's yep. off for three weeks. But uh, nice. it's good. And work for us typically is hyper busy at this time of year because we're setting up for the new fiscal year, which for us starts in, in February. So locking and loading a lot of the things the objectives we want to go after. So yeah, work is really, really good, but I'm doing awesome, man. How about you? How's the family? Yeah, everything's good, man. It's uh, just like uh, yourselves. Everybody's uh, going into their last week of work and school and getting ready to shut everything down for a couple of weeks for the the second half of uh, December and getting ready to uh, enjoy some festivities and some time off and just some R&R. So it should be good. I know there's lots of special festivities and everything, holidays and celebrations coming up uh, across the board. You got uh, Christmas, obviously, and Hanukkah is coming up. So many great uh, traditions celebrating at this time of year. So, you know, it's, everybody go buy a couple of, you know, like at least one or two sets of extra, like or one size up of your normal clothes just to kind of get through the next month or six weeks or so with, you you know, because you know, uh, eating takes on sort of a competitive level of intensity here as you get into December. And then, you know, about three weeks, everybody's going to sort of break out all the resolutions. <laughs> Of course, gym membership spike in the beginning of January, but uh, be that as it may, we are not here to talk about New Year's resolutions. Not yet. We'll probably, we should do that. We should, uh, consider we did the off topic show oh, last I have, week. We I do- have many. I need many. That's a, uh, that's a great show and I definitely <laughs> want to do that. Cool. But uh, before we get uh, going today, I just want to give a, a shout out as usual to JT the Human, who created that outstanding bit of uh, intro music. I love that. Fantasy prizes. Mark, uh, I think this is going to be the last call. We've only heard from one of our winners so far in our F1 Fantasy League. So maybe well, we're going to have to rethink that. But just one more shout out to... I can't remember who the other two were. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. 
So I appreciate the I appreciate the opportunity. So Andrew T, thanks for reaching out. Andy, uh, obviously your subscription to Race Weekend, your first episode or issue should be on the way. And we're also working on something else a little bit special for you. But for Aaron K, for Whitman R, I have scrubbed, I have scrubbed our Twitter follower list to try and find an account that might match the name to try and track you down. But I haven't been able to find one. And with almost 4,000 followers, it's a little bit exhaustive. But uh, to Aaron Whitman, please reach out by the end of the year so we can, uh, we can link you up. But that's about it from the update there. And just talking about the holidays and talking about the race weekend, if you want to get a last minute Christmas gift, go check them out. That's raceweekend.com, W-A-R-C-E-W-K-N-D.com. Use our promo code, a Scuderia Pod, and get 10% off a subscription for a year. Now, talking about, okay, everything is going to go up over time. It's it's just a given that prices will increase, but Coda released their prices for the U.S. Grand Prix for 2023. General admission, GA has gone from 180 to 475 in just the span of two years. This is just a huge price increase across the board for all their ticket categories. And this is going to basically going to be something you're going to see from, you know, every single race on the calendar if the race organizers are paying in the neighborhood of 25 to 50 or maybe more than 50 mil a year to host a race uh, they're passing that cost along to somebody and those somebodies are us so <laughs> there, there you go don't say we didn't warn you because we've warned you but uh, thoughts on this one hammy no, not really any thoughts. This is something you and I have talked about before. And I think sometimes we almost celebrate the fact that F1 scores these big monstrous hosting fees, but ultimately yeah. it's us that pays for them. At the end of the day, if I'm a race organizer, I've got to recoup that sanctioning fee and it comes from tickets and it comes from sponsorship at the track. And that's a that's about it. So when these race organizers are dishing out $50 million, that's just going to be passed down to us. And then on top of it, there's this unprecedented global demand for F1 ticket inventory anyways. So that applies even more pressure. So everyone in the business world of F1, except for the content creators out there, are doing really, really well there. But if you (laughs) want to see an F1 race, if it's something that's on your bucket list, I highly encourage you to do it as soon as possible because I think for a lot of us, ticketing and prices are simply going to become fundamentally inaccessible. And that's not a criticism. I think it's just a reflection of where the business is, but it's not going to get any cheaper. And, you know, we talked a lot about the fact that Coda is putting in new grandstands. So I think part of this is there's less general admission ticket inventory at Coda because they've been carving out sections of the track to build grandstands. And the benefit to the Coda race organizers is you can charge a heck of a lot more for grandstand tickets than you can for GA. But as a result, there's less general admission ticket inventory. And like you said, a couple of minutes ago, two years ago, it was 180 bucks to get a general admission pass. Now it's just shy of $500 US. And of course, that excludes flying and hotel and parking and food and all those kind of things. Yep. So it's become yep. a very, very expensive uh, experience for a lot of people. Well, even in you know 2020 or thereabouts, 180 seems pretty generous for a GA ticket, uh, you know, even at that uh, that rate. But I guess uh, not all that unexpected. But that that is a pretty big jump in just uh, the span of two years. Okay, now you're gonna have to lend a little bit yes, of context yes. to this because I <laughs> I'd love to know where like the like the the genesis of this next little uh, piece here, Scottish snowplow names. And you know, I I this is gonna like I, as I'm reading these off, I'm hearing them voiced in my mind by none other groundskeeper Willie from the Simpsons. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. 
And and the the genesis for this was that one of our listeners actually posted a story about the fact that in Scotland the transportation authority has historically allowed uh, citizens to vote on and submit names for their snowplows, which I thought was super cool. And then they also have a website where in the winter you can track where they are. So you've got this map and it's got all these dots on them indicating the location of a snowplow, and then it has the snowplow name next to it. But I'll read off. Let me read off the first half, can, and then I'll let I read, read off the can, second. Half. Go first. You go first. I, I, I just want to say I wanted to. I was like so pumped to read my, the, this one. Can I just read off my my favorites, and then you read can off read off some fav- more. Hundred okay, percent. So the ones that uh, I really liked were Blizzard of Oz, Gritty Gritty <laughs> Bang Bang, Gritalica, For Your Ice Only, and Skid Vicious. I thought those were all pretty solid. So you know, Not I just uh, I, like I say, I was excited about this one for some strange reason. <laughs> some of these other ones definitely have a. Scottish or British bent to them, but Gangster Granny Gritter is a classic. Mr. Plow, which of course is a Simpsons reference. The Basil Salty, which of course is a reference to Faulty Towers. Faulty Towers. Uh, Calvin Harris reference here. Calvin Hair Ice. Ready, Spready, Go. Mm -hmm. Brine Freeze. Snow Connery. You Only Grit Ice. And Sir Snowington. So some really, really classic, classic names there. I thought thought maybe our listeners would get a kick out of that since we're in the off yeah. season and we can relax <laughs> a little bit. It, it's very apropos and very seasonal at this time of year. Okay, totally. so moving along to some listener questions. First one comes from Becky in Las Vegas. And uh, her message is, with the holidays almost upon us, what F1 documentaries can you recommend to help pass the time while sipping eggnog around the fire? Love the podcast. You are the best in the business. And I and my family sincerely appreciate the time you put in you've helped us pass endless or you've helped us pass the time on so many road trips well thank you very much becky and question becky you got to get in touch with us where do people who live in vegas go on road trips because we're all like we're a road trip we're going to vegas right that's that's yep. what that's yep. what everybody else in the world does so i'd love to know where people in vegas go on road trips <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so um, documentaries. So a couple of the easy ones, uh, obviously, would be Schumacher, which is on um, Netflix. That one is a very, a very, very good one to watch. Then there's also the uh, the Senna documentary, which is done by the same people who did um, have been doing Drive to Survive, but they kind of did that in a, a previous incarnation. Very, very good as well. Now, there's another one that I have, and I don't think you and I have ever talked about this one, but I got this one on DVD for my dad, you know, just going back how, how old this is. So I don't know if this is available to stream anywhere or if you maybe have to scour the internet and maybe some online vendors, uh, you know, maybe somebody, uh, a third party through Amazon or something like that. But have you ever heard of the uh, documentary 50 Years of Formula One Onboard? It came no. out about 15 or 20 years ago. And and this was literally going back to like in the like the, the, the 90s, the 80s, the 70s and before. And I mean, of course, before I mean, the 80s when it is when techno- technology legitimately started to miniaturize. Right. Because if you go back and see some of these ones, like I seem to remember there was a Tyrrell going around uh, Monaco and it literally had like a movie camera <laughs> strapped to the side of the car. But it was really, really cool. So that that is one is definitely you know really really good to to watch. I just don't know where you would be able to to get a copy of it. What are some of the ones um, that are on your list, Mark? 
I think you named the big ones, but I, I'm going to challenge Becky and her family to give MotoGP a, a little bit of a taste because there are some absolutely exceptional MotoGP documentaries, starting with 2000 and I think 2000, I'm trying to remember the year, 2003, there was an official documentary called Faster. There was a follow-up in 2011 called Fastest. There was another in 2015 called Hitting the Apex. And in 2006, there was a fantastic documentary called The Doctor, The Tornado, and The Kentucky Kid. But I would highly recommend you check out all of them. They're available on DVD, Blu-ray, and a lot of the digital streaming platforms. But the production values and the intensity and the emotion are, are awesome. And if you're an F1 fan, I think there's something to like in all of them. Given the fact that Fastest and Faster and, and The Doctor, The Tornado, and The Kentucky Kid are a little bit older, maybe mm-hmm. start with Hitting the Apex, which was a 2015 uh, production that kind of captured the years leading up to that moment. That's where I would start, because I think you nailed the, the big F1 ones. Yeah, there was another one about Mark Marquez that was on DAZN, that uh, streaming service. I, I I don't subscribe to it anymore because um, they don't have the English uh, Premiership Soccer on there anymore. But I had it last couple of years because he had EPL, he also had NFL. So it was worth uh, dropping that about 150 or 175 bucks a year. But they also do documentaries. They had like this three-part series on there. I'm struggling to remember what the name of it was, but it was basically covering Mark Marquez's career up to a couple of years ago, and it was it was pretty cool. It was uh, really well done as well. So if uh, you know if you've got uh, access to that, that's definitely one to uh, worth or worth checking out. Cool. Next one is uh, from Abdullah and Riyadh in uh, the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. So this one has been translated from uh, Arabic. So hopefully we haven't lost. By the way, uh, this much. is. This is a Hamilton translation, which is a combination of utilizing my wife plus Google. So mm-hmm. I think this is pretty good, but it may not be spot on. Do you want to read it then or shall, yeah. you know, shall I have You a- know what? I will I will take it just in case there are any blatant errors here. Uh, they won't reflect poorly on Mr. Daly, but uh, Abdullah <laughs> writes, Hello, my friend told me about your show and I have to say it's my favorite F1 podcast by far. I don't have a question, but wanted to share with you how popular F1 is becoming in Saudi. Our country is, country is opening up to the world and F1 and Jeddah means so much to young Saudis across the country. We feel we have welcomed the world to our country and I want your listeners to know how important this is to the young people here. We love F1 and appreciate having it here. Our country has been opening up to the world a lot. In 2018, we got cinemas and then concerts with international artists, but having F1 is almost more important than all of those things. It means something very special to us here. Please come here and see what F1 in Saudi is like. Well, I think I think if given oh, the opportunity, cool. we would yep. love it. But uh, yep, Abdullah, yep. thank you so much for reaching out. That's that's very cool to hear, and I think it's useful as well because I think oftentimes uh, Formula One, and, and in many cases deservedly so, is criticized for some of the places it goes, especially because of the the premise behind why they go there. But I think. If, if F1 can go somewhere and it can nurture a new fan base and bring people into the world of Formula One and expose to them to the international community in a meaningful way, then then that's awesome. So really, really appreciate your your email. Yeah, that's very, very cool. Uh, you know, and good job on the uh, on the translation. I, I'm assuming that uh, you nailed it <laughs> with, the, <laughs> with, the, so. uh, with the help of your wife, uh, but certainly that's uh, very cool. Uh, the next one comes from Donald in Kentucky, checking in from the Bluegrass Strait, Estate. Pardon me. And uh, Donald's message is, sorry I missed uh, submitting uh, this to your off-topic show, but my question is, what are your favorite Christmas movies? Thank you for the amazing podcast. Everything I know about F1 I learned from 
your show since I was introduced to it in 2021. Well, that's very cool. And thank you very much for the uh, for the message, uh, Donald. So I'll just uh, name off a couple. Uh, I'm I'm a sucker for all the the holiday movies and Christmas specials and things like that. I go back and basically rewatch all the, the Christmas cartoons and things like that. that I watched since I was a kid favorite movies um some of the like the more you know like the ones that have been out there for a while <laughs> we like watching elf in our family that's one that we watch uh, every year as well as christmas with the cranks my favorite christmas movie by a christmas mile is uh, the 1951 edition of a christmas carol with alistair sim you know the old black and white uh, it's just uh you know it's uh, it's it's fantastic uh, i just uh, love that every one. time a bell rings an angel gets their wings is that the one no that's uh that's the other one um oh geez oh. um it's uh, not a miracle in 34 uh it's a wonderful life uh, wonderful it, it, life yes, yes yeah that's yes. another one that's another classic watch that each and every year but we always used to watch like in our family we watch elf every year but uh, growing up uh, that's something we always sat down watched with uh, my parents and my brother we watch that every christmas eve so it's still uh just as good and uh there's some other well-known people actors in that one including uh patrick mcnee which uh some people i know and jack warner Alistair Sim, and uh, very, very, very cool to uh, check this out. What about yourself, sir? What about uh, I mean, the Grinch, the the Doctor Seuss Grinch is a classic, and I have a soft spot for for the Grinch. You know, just uh, just getting it out there. I love it. I love it. And we celebrate, I would say, uh, holidays from every faith and from every culture in our home. So Christmas just being one of them. But I have a very soft spot for Christmas movies. By the way, Elf, one, it turns 20 years old next year, which is incredible. Oh my God, no. And two, did you know parts of it were shot in literally our neck of the woods, like in the Tri-Cities area, I believe? So Get out of here. I didn't know that. Yeah, 100%. Like Oftentimes I'll see something in a movie and I'm like, that looks too familiar. And I'll start Googling it. But yeah, Elf is a big one. The Night Before... Um, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, Bad yes, Santa, that's a good one. Office Christmas Party, and I just saw—I just saw something a couple of days ago that I promise will be an all-time Christmas classic. But I saw Violent Night theatrically. Um, okay. It is production quality wise like it is a family movie like the Mm -hmm. score like the family piece the fact that santa loses faith in christmas and he regains it because of the love of a young child you know just putting aside the mass violence like it is a great christmas movie but (laughs) it's uh it's there so yeah i i love i love all of those but that's a great question yeah, and another one that uh, th- that was filmed around here, at least the the first uh, several seasons, was the original run of the X Files, which uh, I, I rewatched uh, a whole bunch of episodes about a year or two ago, and it was so funny, man. It was it was like a time capsule of like the mid nineties, seeing like like some of the the different locations around Metro Vancouver and Mulder and Scully and stuff like that. It was it was really kind of cool to check it out, but uh, yeah, Vancouver and just uh, th- this neck of the woods is um, very very often used that's some bad grammar but uh, it's a destination <laughs> for for film and movies and production companies so quite often we'll see uh, movie sets uh, and like the, the the big white vans and trucks for cast and crew and catering and totally, stuff is uh, pretty totally. cool next emails from uh, marjada in finland and uh, she says my husband loves f1 but doesn't listen to your show but then she puts in bracket, he does not know English, so he's forgiven. <laughs> so she wants to know, what are some gifts can you recommend for Christmas? Love your show. Thank you very much, Marjana. So 
this is a uh, this is a really good list. I, I think I would have uh, thrown everything uh, down here. Race Weekend Magazine, which we flog all the time around here. The one to two or one to five scale replica driver's helmets. Those are awesome. I know you've got a couple of them. I don't. I'm more of a, a hat collector. But I've been meaning to buy one for a while. And they're not cheap, but they're not no. like super outrageous, unaffordable, expensive either. It's just I, I'm having a real difficult time trying to like pick a like who do I want to get as like my yeah. first replica helmet? Yeah, do yeah, I want to go kind of, kind of like classic? Do want do do I want like a Schumacher or a Senna or a Mansell or something like that, or do I want something a little bit more contemporary like a Lewis or a Vettel or a Charles? You know, there's so many great drivers in this current generation. I, I just I, I'm. I'm, I'm sitting on the fence and I know that's like a terrible, <laughs> a terrible way to go, but they are really, really great. What, what are the, uh, some of the different manufacturers or different websites? Cause I know you've splashed out money several times in the past to get a, a couple of these bad boys. Totally. There's really only one place to go if you're interested in one half scale or one fifth scale helmets. It's drmhelmets.com. It's a British company. They ship worldwide. They have the biggest assortment and they have the best prices. What you'll find though is helmets don't last for long. So for instance, if a specific driver wears a really cool helmet in the 2022 season, a pre-order will probably go up within a month or two. And then once the pre-order is gone, there's very strong possibility that no others will ever go on sale. So check out DRM helmets on social media because you get all the updates about when specific helmets and designs are going to be up for pre-order and then you can put your pre-order in they do have a vast stock of of helmets in but uh but definitely check them out i am definitely a connoisseur of the one i don't like the one fifth scale and apparently they do one four scale now as well i'm just checking out their website but i'm definitely a fan of the one half scale helmets they're incredibly detailed and look very very cool on your showcase it's just a couple other things too because we cut you and i kind of sat down and brainstormed this list but Oh, I, I've got one. I, you've got one on your finger. Also, you're muted, so I can't hear what you're saying. But I will describe the scene to everyone. On your finger, I, you are rocking a <laughs> one-fifth scale helmet. Yeah, so th- this, I would say, would be maybe about... Well, if you're watching YouTube, you can see it on there now. But the, the, the one-to-fifth scale one is probably about the size of maybe quarter loony yeah I, yeah for for Can- canadians you, you know if we said a loony you'd know exactly how big it is for americans i'd say it's maybe about one and a half times the size of a quarter thereabouts it, it's nice i mean it but it, it's fairly small so this is a um this is a damon hill uh you know this Very one cool. actually yeah whoops i was going to hold it up a little bit closer to the uh the, the camera here it actually has the uh some of the Rothmans colors on there, but it doesn't actually say Rothmans, but it's got the Renault, it's got Elf, Anderson Consulting. So it's it's kind of, you know, a bit of a time capsule, but it, it is fairly small. But the half scale ones are really, really cool. And like I say, I've been meaning to really dive in and expand my Formula One co- collection and get uh, get one. But yeah, I'm I, I'm still leaning towards probably something more from the the, the classic uh, drivers. I, I'm, right. I'm very much thinking of a Senna, and I was thinking about like the um, there was a really cool one. I don't know if it's uh, still for sale, but uh, from the time when he was with uh, with Lotus, and that sort of that was uh, that was uh, kind of cool. Um, then the other ones you got on the list is the uh, F1 uh, official video game. The 2023 edition is available on PlayStation or Xbox. Books like The Mechanic, How to Build a Car, Racing with Rich Energy, etc. There are so many good books out there. And you know, they don't have to be um, 
you know, stories about drivers or different eras in Formula One. There's so many wonderful coffee table books out there that, you know, you don't even need the words to go with it because the pictures in some of them are just uh, fantastic. Uh, the Logitech uh, G29 steering wheel or Pro, which is uh, you know, goes obviously uh, together with the uh, the video game. Um, our good friend David Tires uh, has a lot of uh, F1 uh, art, and you can go and check him out. F1 releases the official review Blu-ray recaps of every season, and the 2021 version cl- clocks in at seven and a half hours, which is a lot of content. And then some of the uh, the Blu-rays, like the movie Rush, Senna, and oh, that was a one that we didn't mention the movies earlier. That um, for for Becky, if they want to watch not a documentary, but if they haven't seen Rush, which came out what about 2013? 2013. Yeah. With um, yeah, that's an outstanding movie, and if you haven't seen that, definitely uh, sit down around the fire and uh, pour a big gla- glass of eggnog and check out Rush because it was fantastically uh, well done. Anything else you want to add here, Hammy? Before we jump into a quick break? No, I just that th- we say Christmas gifts, but they are fantastic holiday gifts, Hanukkah gifts, Christmas gifts, um, presents at Ramadan, whatever, whatever you would like to do. If you have somebody in your life that is a Formula or if One we want to remember your favorite Formula One podcast host, just saying. I think I think the Miss Apex crew will get enough get enough flowers. My, oh, you mean us? <laughs> it's funny. I I was hoping you were going to pick up on that hint there and kind of take it away that you did so well played. Perfect. Perfect. Anyways, and since we've uh, you know shot ourselves in the foot, let's take a quick break and we'll come back in just a moment. So don't go away. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights and more. Whether you're into speed, power or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, welcome back to the show. So, uh, before we jump into some of the news for this week, and despite the last race finishing, what three weeks ago now? Was it three yeah. weeks? I've kind of lost track. Ago. It seems. By by the man. way, it was a year ago today that we witnessed the finale of the twenty. I saw this somewhere. <laughs> one year ago today was oh the finale of the twenty twenty one season. Wow, geez, that time really flies, doesn't it? Uh, I, I know that it was like the latest finish ever in Formula One. 
but wow, I, I can't believe that a year has already passed since uh, that race. Okay, average finishing positions for the uh, Formula One 2022 World Championship. Max Verstappen, who was a world champion, his uh, average uh, position was two. Uh, his teammate, uh, Sergio Perez, his average uh, uh, finishing position was 3.21. He finished third in the championship. Charles Leclerc finished 3.22 over the course of 22 races, although he was slightly better ahead than uh, Sergio in the world championship. He finished second. Carlos Sainz, his average finishing position was uh, 3.5, 3.5. George Russell was 4.38. Lewis, 4.75. Lando Norris was 7.75, Fernando Alonso 8.00, right on the nose. His teammate Esteban Alca, 8.20. He finished eighth in the world championship and then rounding out the top 10, Valtteri Bottas finished at, on average 9.81 out of 20 cars in 2022. Then just going down the list, I won't uh, read off uh, what their average uh, finishing positions were. At 11th was Sebastian Vettel, uh, followed by his Aston Martin teammate Lance Stroll, Pierre Gasly, Danny Ricciardo. Ricardo, although Danny Ricardo, he's an interesting one. His teammate uh, Lando Norris, he uh, clocked in at uh, where did he clock in at seventh? His average was seven point seven five compared to eleven point five eight. Danny Ricardo, on average, finishing five positions lower down the grid than his uh, teammate, than uh, Alex Albon, uh, Joe Guan Yu, Yuki Sonoda. Kevin Magnussen, Mick Schumacher, and last and sadly least. The now out of Formula One, Nicholas Latifi finished on average 15.59 out of 20 in the 2022 Formula One World Championship. Kind of interesting, though. I mean, those uh, first four drivers, the two Red Bull drivers and the two Ferrari drivers finishing anywhere from two to three and a half the uh, the average position that's that's pretty incredible i mean just the consistency that uh, those four drivers had throughout uh, the course of the season to to finish where they did that's that's impressive anything you want to add to that uh, hammy nope no, I'm just getting the, uh, the the head shake. So that is my uh, cue to move on. Okay, let me pull up the news here. Okay, we got something from Adam Stern here at uh, from, via the Sports Business Journal. So Danny Ricardo is not planning to do a one-off race in NASCAR as per sources, but remains to focus growing on his brand. Ricardo is exploring opportunities for 2023, including a TV role, one of several ways that the CAA is working to keep him relevant in in America now, now Danny is kind of getting around, and uh, he's 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 getting out there and doing things. I guess uh, you probably saw that Instagram post of Danny Ricardo and Josh Allen, quarterback for the uh, for the Buffalo Bills last week, which I was uh, kind of cool. I did see it. Oh, I should send you that. I, that's funny. I thought it was you that sent it to me. I, I'm not sure who sent it to me now, but it was uh, it was the pregame warm up for one of the Bills games uh, recently. It was kind of funny too because. I mean, on average, NFL players are pretty big, and that that's one thing that always blows me away about uh, pro football is how tall, how big, how athletic, and how fast these guys are. And it was funny to see Josh next to Danny Ricardo, and <laughs> even with all the pads and everything on, he was still much, much bigger than uh, Ricardo. And Danny made uh, some sort of uh, comment about how oh, he could barely get his hand around the car and how small he was. And uh, Josh, he kind of chuckled. He said, well, I guess the important thing is that uh, you fit into a Formula One car, right? I was kind of thinking Josh would probably struggle to get one leg in the cockpit of a Formula One <laughs> car. But it was just kind of cool. And I was uh, thinking to myself after I watched that, that 
I wonder how many of the current Formula One drivers, and I know that Ricardo's kind of taking a step back next year, what with going back to a reserve driver role with Red Bull. But apart from Danny Ricardo, I don't know if there's anyone else that could really kind of pull that thing off except uh, Lewis Hamilton. I mean, Ricardo, I mean, he seemed very it felt like a very natural interaction, like just the two of them on the sideline, just passing a, a ball back and forth and just kind of, uh, you know, having a bit of a laugh. I can see, I mean, Lewis has done the rounds before. So, I mean, that just kind of seems, you know, natural at this point, but what about you? I, I don't know about the, any of the other guys on the, uh, on, uh, on the grid right now. I mean, let's put it this way. I could not imagine Carlos Sainz throwing a football back and forth on the sideline with Josh Allen or anyone else. I mean, not that I have anything against Carlos Sainz, but you know, he just, you know, Ricardo has that kind of personality that a lot of the other guys don't, right? Yeah, his personality makes him very photogenic. He's always got that big smile he'll put on the jersey. But correct me if I'm wrong, he's a big Buffalo Bills fan, right? Yeah, he must be because he was rocking the Josh Allen jersey yeah, when yeah. he was there, which I can understand. I have an unhealthy man crush on jo- Josh Allen and the amazing player that he is, even though I'm not a fan of the Buffalo Bills. I saw Bills, your tweet but, uh, today. What was your tweet? Is December NFL football is great or something like that? It must yeah, be a good December season. NFL football is the best football as I was watching the Bills and the New York Jets playing in the snow. Well, the late great John Madden always said that the real football season starts after Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, and especially at this time of year, once you get down to the last couple of seasons, of the or pardon me, the last couple of weeks of the NFL season, and you get playoff slots up for grabs, it gets uh, pretty intense and uh, pretty exciting. And uh, and th- I this promise is to our American time. audience, Daly is not pandering to you. He is a huge, huge NFL fan. Oh yeah, yeah, a very unhealthy uh, NFL addiction. It's uh, you know pretty much right up there with my Formula One addiction as well. Okay, cool. Let's uh, move along and just uh, this one. You did this very well, and I guess uh, I just kind of uh, you know absorbed this or learned this by osmosis. But Lewis Hamilton named one of the most stylish people of 2022, according to the New York Times. So over to you, Hamilton. I'll I'll let you talk about the. Yeah, the the New York Times Styles the New York Times Styles <laughs> department has listed the 93 most stylish people of 2022, and among them, you'll hear my mouse scrolling: Rihanna, Ben A- Ben Affleck. Apparently, he's regained his style since he recoupled hmm. with Jennifer Lopez, Martha Stewart, Serena Williams, Bad Bunny, and of course, Lewis Hamilton is on that list. And if you follow social media, or if you follow Formula One on social media in any capacity, you've no doubt seen mm-hmm. Lewis showing up to the track, always adorned in some very, very oh, unique, yeah. stylish getup. All of that to say, these these lists I, I often find to be. And this isn't a criticism. Oh, Doja Cat's on here as well. I like Doja Cat. Um, oh, yeah. Bella Hadid too. As I'm scrolling through this list, I'm seeing all these people that I certainly agree with. But I, I, <laughs> I, I take exception with these lists sometimes because I think to be stylish, one, you need to have a platform. And two, typically you can't be stylish unless you have a bottomless wallet and a stylist that helps create these looks for you. And you know what? I enjoy, I enjoy seeing people being stylish. Just know that it's not something that's necessarily accessible to us. Like you and I are able to go down to, to North Nordstrom or or Louis Vuitton and pick up a new outfit every couple of weeks. So so I like the list. It's <laughs> a lot of fun. Not. But at the Sadly same time, not. I think we are somewhat dis- detached from that. Yeah, just to hit me with a couple more names here. Like I, Anne I'm, Hathaway, I'm really Courtney Kardashian okay. and Travis Barker. Um, let's okay. take a look here. Willow Pill, Lil Nas X, Brad Pitt, um, Cammie and Richie in The Bear, Jeremy O'Harris, um, 
Pearl from Pearl, uh, Timothy Chalamet, Grace Wales Bonner, Sarah Sherman, Joe Burrow. Um, again, a lot of these names I'm saying, and I don't actually know who these folks are, so I apologize. Emma Chamberlain, the James Webb Space Telescope, apparently. Gerard Way, Queen Elizabeth II, which I definitely agree with. Princess Anne. Let's take a look. Kendrick Lamar, Prime mm-hmm. Minister Santa Marina. Of Finland, LeBron James, Meg Stalter, Mark Zuckerberg's avatar, Nathan Fielder, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, and the list goes on. Oh, Steph Curry's on the list. Beyonce's on the list. Uh, Julie Fox, Elvis and Elvis, Harry Styles, and that's about it. And a lot of people whose names I can't pronounce and I didn't want to embarrass myself by trying to say them on the air. There you go. Good for you. So sadly, I guess we're not on the list. Okay, something to aim for in 2023. Talking about uh, 2023, the uh, the FIA nice segue. Uh, has announced. Nice segue. Yeah, I know, we're just on fire tonight, right? Uh, the uh, FIA uh, calendars have been approved by the World Motorsports uh, Council, and uh, in addition, the uh, 2023 uh, sprint race locations have been uh, confirmed. So, just uh, going to the, uh, the the race calendar first of all, March 5th, we are back in action for round one of the Formula One World Championship for 2023 at Sakir. Bahrain, followed by uh, Saudi Arabia going back to uh, Jeddah. Then on April 2nd, back to uh, Melbourne for the Australian Grand Prix. Some other dates of note, May 7th is the, the Miami Grand Prix. Canadian Grand Prix goes June 18th. Silverstone, which is always a favorite of mine, July 9th. Uh, where else? Where is Okoda? Uh, back on the calendar, of course, is uh, the weekend of October 22nd. And then we have the uh, Mexican Grand Prix or the Mexico City Grand Prix, October 29th, Halloween weekend. And then Vegas. Lots of North American races, of course, the uh, the first running of the Las Vegas Grand Prix, the weekend of November 18th. And then it all comes to a wrap, uh, round 24. I mean, the Chinese Grand Prix is still listed as to be confirmed. China has officially been scrubbed from the calendar for next year. I don't know, Hammy. I I haven't heard that anything's going to fill in and everything that I'd been reading and following about that didn't seem like it'd be likely. So we'd have a big gap between Australia on uh, the 2nd of April to uh, Baku on April 30th. And like I say, it comes to an end uh, the weekend of November 26th at uh, Yas Marina and the United Arab Emirates. There was a lot so of any- buzz the last couple of weeks ago that Portugal could have negotiated their way onto the calendar. It's obviously a purpose-built circuit and it had a vacancy during that period period. I don't think that's necessarily going to happen. And I don't think there's a lot mm-hmm. of pressure on on the Liberty Group to to backfill the race. The, the one oddity, like you said, is we, we race in Australia on April the 2nd, and then we don't race again until April the 30th in Azerbaijan. And that's a big gap early on in the season. I yes. know that at one point, the FIA and Liberty were pressing pressing Baku hard because they wanted to bring that race forward a week. So you'd race April 2nd, and then you'd race again on April 23rd, which would give you two weeks off. Because as it stands right now, we're in Baku, and a week later, we're in Miami, which is unusual because we've done that week gap between Baku and Canada in the past. But that's a really tough turnaround for everyone in the championship to kind of pack up at the end of the day on Sunday and Baku and be in the new destination, in this case, Miami, three, four days later. That's a tough turnaround. Uh, I think the other consideration here, too, is we we revealed, uh, we didn't reveal, we reported based on other people's actual reporting that China was scrubbed <laughs> from the calendar. And it was principally because China has such fierce or 
had such incredibly fierce restrictions around quarantine procedures and and COVID. And obviously, if you've consumed any news recently, there have been some widespread mass protests in China mm-hmm. against their COVID, their not, no no go COVID policies. And the government since then has significant has responded in a very meaningful way, and they have significantly cut back on COVID restrictions across the country. And I think China was really the last country in the world that was trying to live without COVID. And that meant really fierce, harsh lockdowns in cities like Shanghai and Beijing. And ultimately, I think they've pivoted now and realized that, look, we're going to shift to shift to the model that the rest of the world's operating on, which is living with the virus. And unfortunately, that came a little bit too late, because I think if that was the revelation they'd had a month or two ago, we probably would have mm-hmm. been able to fit that Chinese race in because we haven't been there since 2019. And if we're back there in 2024, 20, that'll be a five, five year year that's gap. A, that's a long gap. Totally. And it's not the best track in the world, but I'm just, I'm so hungry to see what the, the response would be from the Chinese fans to having a Chinese driver on the grid in, in Zhou. So fortunately we won't see this year. Hopefully we'll see it next year. You know, one track that uh, that never got off the, uh, the the ground that I was really looking forward to was uh, Vietnam. Oh, and I know me that COVID too, kind of had too. something to do with it, but then it it, it sounds like, and I've I've never really looked into it, but it sounded like maybe it was a little bit too good to be kind of true situation. But I mean, just the concept of the track and the layout and everything looked like it was going to be a phenomenal race. And I was very disappointed that never happened. But, you know, like I say, there's one pandemic kind of got in the way, right? The outcome was partially COVID. The outcome was partially yeah. COVID. But it was also because, as I understand it, the politician in that country that was lobbying and pushing for the event uh, was ultimately implicated in some corruption scandals. <laughs> and and I think he might be behind bars now. So I think even if, even if Formula One had an appetite to go back there, I think the whole topic of Formula One in that circuit's a little bit toxic in in political circles because it's associated with this one specific individual so we were so close i think i think it was i think the circuit even made it into an f1 video game but ultimately it, it might didn't have happen. done yeah yeah and the grandstands yeah. sit collecting dust but we certainly won't be going to <laughs> vietnam anytime soon too bad, too bad. But just going back to the uh, venues for this year's uh, sprint races, so there's going to be six, and th- that's been around for a, quite a while. That's uh, that's not necessarily new news. But the the first one, uh, first sprint race of the year will be the weekend of April 30th at uh, the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. Then we'll have sprint races in Austria, Belgium, Qatar at the LaSalle International Circuit on October 8th, at Coda for the U.S. Grand Prix on October 22nd, and then at uh, Brazil at Interlagos on uh, November 5th, which uh, was very, very exciting just uh, not so not so long ago. We've, All right. we've had the sprint race in Brazil twice now. So we were yep. there 21-22. We were in Austria this year for the first time. So this will be a repeat, but Azerbaijan, Baku, the street circuit. Wow, that'll be an incredible uh, mini sprint race. Belgium, um, it's so funny. Like we were so close to leaving, seeing Belgium exit the calendar entirely, and then it got a reprieve. And now it has a sprint race. Qatar. This will be the second time we've gone there. Uh, we're still racing at LaSalle because I think the plan is still to build a uh, Cornish front or waterfront circuit downtown, similar to Jeddah. Um, and then we're gonna have a sprint race at Circuit of the Americas. And I, I think the race organizer. At Coda. And actually, now that I think about it, that might also explain part of the bump in the ticket prices that you mentioned off the top, because if they're mm-hmm. going to host a sprint race, that's going to cost the race organizers a ton of extra money. So they're just going to pass that cost on to the the folks that are in attendance. But yeah, six six versus three this year and three the year before. 
Geez, a 23, at least a 23 race calendar on for next year and then six uh, sprint race weekends on top of it. We're going to be busy, busy, busy people next year, Mr. Hamilton. And, uh, you know, talking about busy, now's time to take a breather and catch a bit of our breath here. So we're going to take a, a break to hear a message from our sponsors. So don't go away. We'll be back in just a moment. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. All right, welcome back. And there is news this week that the FIA is ready to shorten DRS zones in 2023. And this is in response that uh, there is some concern flying around there that overtaking has become too easy at several tracks and venues on the calendar. As to you know, I I just love this one because a couple of years ago, oh, they can't overtake in Formula One. There's no overtaking. The sport sucks. You know, you got to do something about it now. DRS is making it too easy to pass. So I guess uh, it just goes to prove that you can never please 100% of the people 100% of the time. But Hammy, uh, why don't you give us a little bit more information on this one? Yeah, I think it goes back to something you and I talked about earlier in the season. And and I apologize because I I don't remember the writer who wrote this, but somebody had written that originally DRS back in 2010 was designed as an equalizer because we know the cars kick off or did kick off all this dirty air. And DRS was simply supposed to be a mechanism to equalize the two drivers. And I think what had happened this year, and this is not my quote, this is that individual's quote, but that DRS this year became a weapon. So all of a sudden it became in many cases, cases, a foregone conclusion that if you had DRS, you were going to be able to overtake that driver in front of you. So it became less an equalizer and it became more of a weapon. And that was ultimately a result of the fact that the cars themselves are kicking up less dirty air because of the ground effects. And Ultimately, you and I have talked about this before. I'm really struggling to see a place for DRS in the future of the sport. So I think that rather than simply turning it off entirely in 24, Mm -hmm. 25, 26, which has been discussed, maybe it's more of a a gradual elimination from the sport that, hey, we're going to start removing DRS zones and we're going to start shortening activation zones. And I think this is probably uh, kind of a step towards that end goal because to me, I really don't like these artificial aids that are intended to, and I guess I get it. Formula One may have needed it for some time there, but they've made some really significant progress towards eliminating the need for DRS, but I'll be happy to see it go. Do you feel the same way or do you enjoy the excitement of having an artificial aid like that in the sport? I, I, you know, tongue was planted firmly in cheek when I was just, uh, you know, reading that off. And the article, just uh, to give the the uh, the journalist credit, was Jonathan Noble from uh, Motorsport. Uh, sorry, yeah, yeah, Motorsport.com. And so, 
you know, honestly, I, I'm not too disappointed to to hear these uh, sorts of things. Like, I, I'm perfectly okay to see the reduction in DRS zones with the, the ultimate aim to remove DRS completely from the cars. I would like to see the cars, like yourself, to a point where they don't need it anymore as an aid to either equalize them or to uh, you know, enhance or promote overtaking that it is just, you know, a part of uh, Formula One that the cars themselves are just uh, capable uh, to do that. So, I mean, it's been around now for over a decade if it was to disappear next year because it was unnecessary anymore i would be uh, perfectly okay with that okay so moving along a uh, an update on four-wheel one's uh, pledge to become uh, carbon neutral on the road to net zero by 2030 so some of the uh, improvements that they've made in their operations this year was a redesign of freight containers to allow the use of more fuel efficient aircraft a remote broadcasting implemented lend or leading to significant reduction in traveling freight. Planning for future calendar regionalization underway, which is something that we've talked about uh, totally. before. That'd be kind of cool to see, like regional championships yeah, I love or regional it. I love it. kind of like what do we would call it, like regional mini calendars. Which yeah, uh, can I you imagine kind of having cool. like an Asia Cup and the Americas Cup? So the driver who scores the most point in each of these regionalized, ch- like it could be meaningless, but we see that like with the supporter shield, and we see yeah. that in football where you have these rivalries between teams. But yeah, that would be pretty cool if you could have trophies based on performances in kind of these regional competitions. Yeah, like have a little bit of fun with it too, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, like I mean, I'm all for being like socially responsible, especially when it comes to things like uh, the, the the climate and the environment and stuff like that. But you know, why not have a little bit of fun with it at the at the same time? That's a really cool idea. And then the last uh, one they have on the list here is recruited sustainability specialists and improved internal infrastructure to ensure progress. So there you go. You need measurables to make sure that uh, you're on track. Anything you want to add to that? Or why oh, the we list, go on to my the friend, the list goes the on. List. So this this was a okay. social media post update from Formula One earlier this week, but that is just the first of four slides. The next slide is Net Zero 2030, working with our race promoters. So Formula One, Liberty, the FIA, they're working with their reporters to one. They are delivering more events using alternative energy sources like solar panels, green tariffs, and biofuels. They are engaging local communities and charities to allow surplus food donations post-race. They are prioritizing public transit to all of our races, which I think is something that you and I can both kind of recognize as being a real aid to the fan experience, but also great for the for the environment. They are reducing single-use plastic access across our events uh, from a sustainable fuel from the future perspective. Uh, there's a checklist here. Sustainable fuel development continues to ramp up with 100% sustainable fuel on target for 2026. Uh, on track for the introduction of 55% sustainable fuel into F2 and F3 for the 2023 season and fuel designed for real world use with huge potential to decarbonize the automotive sector. And then finally, in the spirit of diversity and inclusion, the F1 Academy launched to provide greater opportunity for female drivers. You and I talked about that last mm-hmm. week. A scholarship scheme expanded to 50 students by 2025 and apprenticeships and internships expanded for those from underrepresented backgrounds. Did I ever tell you, we're just talking about uh, transportation to tracks, did I ever tell you about our Spanish Grand Prix shuttle bus story? Did I ever tell you that or, or no? Even if you have, I've A, forgotten, but B, I'm sure most of our audience <laughs> hasn't heard it. Well, it's it's not like it's some really bizarre thing, but uh, it, it was just kind of funny because uh, we went to the Spanish Grand Prix in 2014, so that's already going back uh, you know, more years than I care to admit. 
anyhow, I, I remember that uh, after we'd booked tickets for the, the the weekend, we were looking around. Well, how do we get to the to the track? Because we're going to fly in. We we're going to stay for about a week, so we'd have a couple of days either side of the Grand Prix weekend just to you know look around and visit Barcelona, which is a, a fantastic city. I mean, highly recommend you know that anybody go and visit Barcelona, even if you're not going to the Grand Prix. Anyway, so we did find like a shuttle bus service to take us to the track. And so we were just like, well, I'm not sure if we have any other options. We we booked tickets for like all the days that we were going to go. So the Thursday, Friday, Saturday and Sunday. And then it was just like a date and a time and just an address. We kind of look and, you know, just it's just it's just a street corner, like in this not not rural, but this uh, neighborhood in on the east side of the city there. So we're looking, OK, here's our hotel. So we got to take so many subways to get there. And we were just like after a while, after we bought the tickets, it was all non-refundable. We kind of had this bad feeling that we'd been scammed <laughs> anyway. So we we thought, well, we, we were going to go like leave it till Sunday. We thought, well, you know, at very worst, maybe we don't get there on the Thursday, which is kind of like when everything's sort of starts rolling out and and amping up for the weekend ahead so we we went out there on the the thursday morning we jumped uh, jumped on the uh the, uh the the subway got out there and lo and behold there was like like an like this whole fleet of these big coaches these comfy you know like buses to take people out there and it's just like people were just getting on it was so orderly and it basically dropped us off right by the the the, the front gate to the circuit so we were pleasantly surprised because like i say i thought we got we we got scammed but yeah, I don't know. It was, it was strange, though. It was just it was very difficult to to find a way to the track. I don't know how it was. Mark, changed, that uh, wasn't the then. most satisfying outcome to that story. I thought there was going to be some hilarious story that you were dropped off in the countryside or you missed the race, but everything no, worked out well. Everything it did, worked it out did, well. Yeah. You know, I just uh, that that was the off-topic show from from last <laughs> week. I still haven't got it out of my my system. So going back to the on-topic show, show pardon me, Total Wolf has uh, ruled out offering Mattia Bonato a job uh, with the Mercedes, saying that there's too much Brooklyn porcelain between us. So that this is kind of a juicy quote from from Total. I'm just wondering where they're throwing teacups at each other at some point, <laughs> <laughs> or coffee mugs, or whatever whatever it was. But I I could understand uh, why. I mean, Bonotto uh, has resigned from the Scuderia and he's going to leave at the end of the year after he's been in charge as a team principal for the last four years. I mean, wow, where, where did the time go? I can't believe four seasons doesn't uh, feel you know, feel like it. Uh, but um, anyhow, Toto said that it's uh, just uh, not going to, to happen. Uh, he said on the uh, Beyond the Grid uh, podcast recently, quote, it was always clear that he was under tremendous pressure, yeah, referring to uh, Matteo. Being team principal at Ferrari, you better have a good contract for your exit. No, probably the unavoidable happened, but he held on to it longer than I thought. Uh, in representing Ferrari, you represent the whole country. They write you up, they write you down, but with brutality. Certainly team principal of Ferrari as an Italian, probably even more because as a foreigner, you don't read the news, end quote. But yeah, you know, that that would be kind of a tough one. I mean, they, they are obviously rivals. And I, I'm just kind of wondering what, uh, where, where does Matteo Bonato go from here? 
Are you asking me as a question? Because yeah, I think <laughs> I think it could very well be Audi, right? Like if you're if you're Audi and you're buying an organization in Sauber, which is going to be a multi-year process, and you need to integrate that with your engine supply channel, which is going to happen in Germany, you could bring on somebody like Matteo Bonato, who's overseen an, a very similar organization, because not all F1 teams are equal, right? Some are customer teams of engine suppliers and some also develop their engines and Mattia was in mm -hmm. a situation in Marinello where he was building a car and he was building a power unit and he had to negotiate with customer teams to sell the power units on so it was a big complex organization I think that could potentially be a good fit I don't know if culturally it's the right fit but we've seen a lot of reporting specifically out of Germany in the last couple of weeks that linked Matteo Bonato to that Audi Sauber that Audi Sauber endeavor that's going to come to fruition over the course of the next couple of years. So his future may already be uh, spoken for. We just may not have seen the official announcement yet. But I did like that one quote that you just read from, from Total Wolf. And where was it here? Something about, ah, and I quote, in representing Ferrari, you are representing the whole country, Wolf said. That really it's resonated true. with me. And yeah. I'd never, I've never thought about it that like that before, but Ferrari in a lot of ways could be seen if you live in Italy as their national team, right? You have club mm -hmm. teams, you have national teams. Mercedes is a club team in the UK amongst many other club teams, including Williams and McLaren and, and Red Bull. But in, in Italy, they are the national team. And, and I think in that sense, they probably get a lot of media scrutiny in ways that some of these other teams don't. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I can't imagine in Italy that there's too many people uh, cheering for Mercedes or Red Bull. I mean, th there are, but I mean, it's going to be Ferrari miles and miles ahead of uh, everyone else. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, and, and you just love the passion when you see them at uh, like Monza and Imola and places, uh, races like that. I mean, they, they come out, they represent, and it's uh, fantastic. I mean, I'd love to go and experience that uh, that post-race you know, atmosphere at Monza, especially if that's a Ferrari driver standing on the top step of the uh, the, the, the podium. Okay, next story. Uh, Zach Brown calls for more technical freedom in the cost cap era. This comes from uh, RacingNews365.com. So the McLaren boss had to say, quote, if you've got a cost cap, then there should actually be some more technical freedom within the cost cap. You would then see more innovations and risk taking. The cars would look even more different. If you have the cap, then you've got two kind of guidelines as everybody has to look exactly like that and you can't spend more than that and then he goes on to say a quote just stop with the spend and do what you want i think you should bring out uh, more innovation and everyone would learn from each other it was like that when uh, braun did the double diffuser in 2009 they got a great head start but by the end of the year it was balanced out so you think i think you could get that that's the fascinating part of the sport and it, End quote. Anyways, I, I think that is a very, very true. It's it, it's funny because whenever somebody comes up with one of these really massive technical breakthroughs, and and Brown really you know uh, comes out with that uh, example of the double diffuser that uh, Braun GP came out that uh, that memorable two thousand and nine season, they were miles ahead of everyone else. And and if if I remember correctly, I think it was just uh, they interpreted uh, interpreted the uh, the regulations that year a little bit different than uh, than everyone else, and. Uh, they just got it so right and people were like well we never actually thought we could do that and we can and so they uh, they all started uh, developing uh, you know somewhat uh, s you know similar double diffusers like uh, Braun GP did but I, I think that is interesting too right it's just that's 
you know, what do, what do you even want to call it? Just the opportunity to innovate and create and then see who gets it right. And and that's the thing that I always find in Formula One, that if, if somebody comes up with a really good concept, if it's the other teams that start, you know, trying to build on that and come up with their own version of whatever that concept is, then you know that it's it's, it's a real winner. But it's the innovations that kind of come along that nobody wants to touch with a 10-foot pole kind of always leads me to believe that, yeah, that's a bit of a dead end. This is possibly the most exciting quote I've heard from a Tim Principal in a very, very long time. And it's important to remember as well that in a way, Formula One has historically managed managed competitive spread in spending through the technical regulations. And right now we're in a really unusual situation where the technical regulations themselves are probably stricter and allow less allow less artistic interpretation, so to say, than we've ever seen before. But we also have a cost cap, which is fundamentally new to the sport, having it come into place last year. So all of a sudden, we're in a situation where teams have to follow really strict guidelines through the technical regulations, which means that there's far less room for interpretation, especially when it comes to building these cars. But also the car teams are capped at how much money they can spend. So ultimately, my fear is always going to or it's always been that we're going to end up with a bunch of cars that look very, very similar after a couple of years. We knew that this year there was going to be some pretty significant spread in the field that some teams were going to get the regulations right and some weren't. But then in the next couple of years, they would all start to kind of congeal more closely to the middle of the pack in the sense that they mm-hmm. would all start adopting and boring best practices. I, I really like Zach's point here, which is like, look, if you're going to have a really fierce cost cap, you don't need to have really strict technical regulations. Like, you know what? Loosen the technical regulations and let these teams get creative and let them design because they're not going to be able to go that far anyways because they still have to comply with the cost cap. But this is for somebody like me that really likes to think of Formula One as it's certainly not a prototype series, a prototype series being something where there's effectively no technical regulations at all. Your car has to have four wheels and a naturally aspirated engine or a fuel injected engine, blah, 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 blah. But but ultimately, I, I've always really enjoyed, like you just described with the double diffusers, I've really enjoyed the innovation and, and watching to see what teams develop and then watching to see how teams respond to that. And I think in the current regulations, there's far less likelihood of any of that happening. So to Zach's point, like, hey, look, if we already have a really strict cost cap, why not loosen the technical regulations and let teams have some fun and get creative? And I think that would be very, very cool to see. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I, I find that uh, Zach has some very, you know, generally speaking, uh, some, some pretty good ideas. And um, I always sit up and take note when uh, whenever he says something, especially like that. I think it's uh, it's very, very cool, like you say. Okay, talking about uh, other things uh, relating, well, not uh, specifically to the cost cap, uh, but entry fees for 2023. So uh, Christian Horner was kind of, uh, you know, joking a little bit when he was asked how much uh, they're going to have to pay to enter Formula One for next year. So just looking at uh, back at this year for 2022, every team had to pay a basic fee, entry fee of $577,278. Like, where the heck do you come up with that? It's like, it's such a random number, but there there must be for it, something for it. Uh, plus, uh, every 
they had to pay an additional $6,926 for a point they scored, um, as was the case for that was for Mercedes. And the other competitors had to pay about $1,200 less per point. So uh, Mercedes ended up with an entry fee of just over $4.8 million for this year. And uh, Red Bull paid around $3.95 million. So this year, Red Bull had an, uh, a points haul of 959, or sorry, 759 points. And that means that uh, just according to the FAA sporting regulations from 2022, that would uh, mean, see them paying $5.83 million to race in Formula One. And uh, that could be closer to $6 million by the time uh, everything's all finalized and the, the price of price inflate uh, beyond that. Plus, you got like that that penalty for the cost cap uh, breach uh, on top of that. Anyways, uh, Christian Horner did say, quote, I mean, it's very, very special. These two guys have had an amazing year this year. I mean, particularly Max had an outstanding season. I think that the effort's gone in behind the scenes, the biggest regulation change in 40 years, and the whole team in Milton Keynes just rose to that challenge magnificently. And to have achieved those 17 race wins, two sprint race victories out of the three, five, one, two finishes, 759 points. I didn't realize how much we had to pay the FIA for the points, got the bill the other day. It was incredible. So it's been incredible. And so for the first time to pick up the trophy from Mohammed, I picked up the trophy for Jean Todd in his first year on the, his, his presidency. So it's fantastic to be picking up the trophy t- tonight from our new president, end quote. And he's referring to uh, Mohammed Ben Suleim, the uh, <clears throat> not so recently appointed FIA president. When was he uh, put on the job last year, right? Anyways, point of the story, Red Bull spending big bucks to get into Formula One again for next year. Okay, uh, well, we're going to wrap up the show in a minute, but we're going to kind of switch gears a little bit. we got a Formula One story that kind of blends in nicely to MotoGP Corner, and then you've uh, picked a couple of good MotoGP stories, which I'll hand over to you. But the first one, uh, Max Verstappen said he'd like to try his hand at uh, riding a MotoGP bike, but it is banned by Red Bull. And this isn't really anything unusual. Damon Hill, 1996 uh, Formula One world champion, he also... uh, He was banned or had some clause in his contract that prevented him from uh, riding motorcycles because I think he raced motorcycles when he was much, much younger. But uh, I'm I'm interested uh, that that Max actually wants uh, to do that. But uh, he was uh, he told an Italian publication that he'd like to to try out a MotoGP bike. He said that uh, you know they look absolutely crazy. The sp- straight line speed is absolutely incredible. And then he said, "quote But the team won't give me permission. I could break my leg." End quote. Well, <laughs> I think if he came off the bike, he could break more than just his leg. But uh, not too entirely surprised that uh, Red Bull won't let him on uh, on two wheels. What, Daily, what do you think about this If one? I was a team principal, I wouldn't let my drivers go to the water slides. I wouldn't <laughs> let them I wouldn't let them walk up a flight of stairs. Like I would have them in a bubble wrapped cocoon to protect them go. at all times. Like I'm investing in that person. Like I'm less bothered about your quality of life. I just want to make sure that you're healthy and ready to go every race weekend. What is remarkable about this though, because I didn't think about it at the time, is back in 2019, Valentino Rossi and Lewis Hamilton, if you recall, did that swap. So they did a track session one day where Valentino Rossi hopped in Lewis's Mercedes 
Mercedes and Lewis hopped on his Monster Energy Yamaha and they did a couple of laps on each. And of course, there was a kind of some media frenzy after that. Now, interestingly, mm-hmm. and it does tie into this, is it was a closed event with only invited media. It has been rumored that at that event, Lewis did crash the bike. And again, this has never been confirmed, but it is Mm. rumored that Lewis did go down on that bike. And of course he was fine. But if you're a member of the Mercedes team, that must have scared you to death that the (laughs) seven-time world champion was riding a MotoGP bike because the MotoGP bikes are obscenely, obscenely powerful beasts, aerodynamics and all. But yeah, interesting story. And I don't blame Christian Horner and Red Bull whatsoever for prohibiting him from riding snowmobiles, motorbikes, tricycles, water slides, all of those things. Do you think that Christian would be kind of like creepy and like have Max on his find my iPhone thing? Yes, it's like I would. Max leaves his thing. And like, I would not, he's I like would leaves not his house. Him. He's like, Max, where are you going? Who are you going with? Are you driving? Are you in the backseat? What are you doing? I I, I mean, I would, I, I would be that guy. I'd be absolutely paranoid every time my, my drivers are going somewhere because some As of these guys, I. like I know like Michael Schumacher, he was big into skydiving and things like that. I'd just be like, oh God, I mean, I, I know oh, that- wow. For for like uh, some of these uh, you know these guys like it's it's all adrenaline all the time but yeah I don't I don't think I'd be you know so so good as a team principal. Anyways, um, we got like I say a couple of stories here for um, MotoGP Corner. So why don't you the, the first one you have here is uh, MotoGP drivers uh, prepare or riders that is uh, preparing for the uh, physical sprint, uh, stress of sprint races. What's what's the backstory or what's what's the story on that one, Hammy? Incredible story. So as we've seen the Formula One calendar expand in the last few years, and you and I talk about the fact that there was a point where seventeen races was a big championship, and now we're at a point where 23, 24 races is what gets scheduled. But MotoGP is anticipating a record 21 race calendar next year, which is very, very significant relative to what we've ever seen in that championship before. And the reason this is so sensitive is we talk about how physically demanding driving a Formula One race car is. Riding a MotoGP motorcycle is an entirely different physical experience. So it's asking an awful lot of the drivers or the drivers, the riders, but it's actually compounded by a much bigger issue, which is next year, MotoGP is introducing sprint races at every single race. So there will be 21 (laughs) races on the calendar next year. There will be 21 sprint races. And the way that they're making room for this is currently a MotoGP weekend is very similar to Formula One. Formula One has three uh, free practice sessions, a qualifying session in the race. MotoGP has four practice sessions qualifying in the race. In the new configuration, the new MotoGP weekend, there'll be three practice sessions. They'll be qualifying. Qualifying will set the grid for the sprint race and for the race. And then of course, there'll be the sprint race at three o'clock on, I think it's going to be three o'clock every Saturday. And of course the main race will be on the Sunday, but the MotoGP riders will reportedly be putting in an extra 1300 kilometers on track next year, which is incredible, a very physically demanding calendar for them. And MotoGP, interestingly, is facing a very 
opposite dilemma to Formula One. Formula One is seeing this unprecedented demand. TV viewing, TV viewing is up, and you have all these race organizers all over the world that are clambering over themselves to get to Liberty and offer them $50 million to host a race, and people are lining up to buy tickets. In the MotoGP world, fan mm-hmm. attendance and TV numbers are actually collapsing. So while they're adding calendar races to the calendar, it's simply because they desperately need that race hosting money to fill their coffers and cover their expenses. And a big part of that, it's believed, is the absence of Valentino Rossi. So of course, Valentino Rossi has now exited the sport. He was by far MotoGP's most transcendent superstar for the better part of two decades. He's exited, Mm -hmm. and they simply haven't been able to find, uh, and with all respect to Mark Marquez, and I'm going to transition into a Marquez story here, but with all respect to Mark Marquez, he hasn't quite captured the imagination of the international MotoGP fan in the same way that Valentino Rossi did. And maybe he will, because Mark Marquez at the end of November has announced that he is debuting an Amazon Prime documentary that will Mm. capture his experiences from his big fall and crash in Spain in 2016, where he broke a very significant bone in his body, his rehab, and his reemergence to a podium later in the 2022 season. So that's very cool. And that is on the back of the fact that last year, uh, Amazon debuted MotoGP Unlimited, which is their take on Netflix's Formula One show, Drive to Survive. So again, another couple of things to check out if you're looking for something to occupy your time during the winter break. You can check out that new Mark Marquez documentary, and you can also check out MotoGP Unlimited, which is a very well-done show that certainly hasn't got the recognition that Drive to Survive has. Yeah, totally. Well, Hammy, there you go. It's uh, a little bit ahead of schedule compared to our normal shows uh, during the season, but I feel like we packed in quite a lot in the last hour and 10 minutes. But uh, certainly we will be back again in a couple of days on Thursday night, Friday morning with the the, the regular weekly show. And I have to apologize. Uh, the, the reason why we didn't have a show on Thursday was completely on me. I had to go away for business for a couple of days, as I did a couple of weeks earlier. And I was away for a Tuesday, Wednesday, which meant that you know, it was back to normal on Thursday. So I went back to the exact same place as I did a couple of weeks earlier. But it was a Wednesday and Thursday. And then so, you know, Hammy and I are texting, texting each other. And then I'm like, oh, I just realized I'm not going to be home on Thursday night. I will be, but I'll be getting back late. He's like, well, how about tonight? I'm like, yeah, tonight's got to work either. I've got sort of informal meeting tonight as well. So that was entirely on me. So appreciate you all hanging out and, and bearing with us. But uh, we'll still have some uh, some shows dropping over the holidays, too. But uh, we'll, we'll keep this uh, going yeah, with, a, with a show or two uh during the week until then. And if you enjoy the show, I'm going to steal uh, Hammy's line here. Uh, by all means, uh, please uh, drop us a rating and review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, wherever you enjoy listening to this podcast. We would uh, greatly uh, appreciate that. And that helps us uh, grow the show and and grow the uh, the community. So that would be uh, wonderful if you could do that. And if you want to get in touch, send us a tweet on the Twitters at ScooteryF1Pod or send us an email at ScooteryF1Pod at gmail.com. And that's it. That's a wrap. Uh, before we go, I still have to admit that I'm still trying to get my mind around Becky's message about where people from Vegas go on road trips. So I, I certainly hope that she gets back uh, in touch with I, I would think it's probably somewhere less flamboyant and you know glitzy with like lots of bright lights. So I'm thinking somewhere nice and quiet, you know. So anyways, that's just uh, just me being me. Anyhow, guys, have a great week. We'll be back on Thursday night. So until then, have a great week and we'll talk to you again soon. Bye for now.